Business Anxiously with Amy and Lisa. Now here are your hosts, Amy and Lisa. Hi, I'm Lisa. And I'm Amy. And this is Anxiously, the podcast where we talk about all the things, big and small, that make us feel anxious. How are you doing today, Lisa? I'm all right. I'm feeling a little anxious. (laughs) (laughs) Why? What's going on? Well, I have this giant tome sitting on my night table looking at me every night, and it's making me feel bad about myself. I have been trying to read War and Peace since last March (laughs) when the lockdown first began, and it's been really slow going. And I'm also just like feeling really ashamed of the fact that I hadn't read it before now and that it's taking me so long. It's been a hard read for me. Well, I have a confession to make. I too have never read War and Peace. (laughs) I totally get it. I'm impressed that you've been trying to read it for a year. (laughs) I don't know that that warrants being impressed. But I know what you mean about, like, feeling bad about it. Like, so you and I are both book editors and writers and think of ourselves as literary people, which we are. I was an English major in college. I believe you were too, right? I was, yes. So I have what I call my shame list of (laughs) classics, quote-unquote classics, that I have not read. Like, I haven't read Moby Dick. I haven't either. (gasps) I feel better. (laughs) Ulysses. Oh, my God. Like, have you read that? I have started Ulysses so many times I've lost count. It's another one that's just really hard for me. We're so ashamed that we haven't read these, you know, great works of literature and that it says something about us as a person. But that's not good, right? Like, that's not helpful. No, and and it shouldn't define how we see ourselves or how we feel about ourselves. I know, but yet it does. Like, I feel like there's this expectation, especially, again, in, like, the milieu we kind of grew up in and college and all that stuff of educated people where there's these benchmarks you have to hit to say, oh, yes, I've, I've read that or I've seen that movie, you know, these kind of cultural touchstones that you feel like you should have. And then when you don't, you feel feel bad about it. Right. You know, my parents always encouraged me to study hard and to work hard and to be a good student. But like in school, it wasn't cool to be smart. It wasn't great to be the nerd, but I still wanted to be the person who had read everything. And I also feel like as a girl in school growing up, it was even harder to be the nerdy, smart one. But now that like the goalposts sort of moved a little bit. I'm wondering if this anxiety is really like a woman thing. Well, there's so much there. First of all, yes, I had the same experience. I was also like a straight A student. And until I went to high school, so I went to Bronx Science, which was like nerd heaven. (laughs) So that was a good place to be if you were a nerd. But up until then, yeah, it was a different time, I think, in that like smarts were like derided in a way. And like (laughs) the kids who got all the laughs and love were kind of like the class clowns. And nowadays there's this new reverence for the nerd, which in some ways is great and makes me feel vindicated. (laughs) Like I, I have a dream of going on Jeopardy. Like I, but it also does create like in some ways, more expectations for knowing more. Yes, exactly. Like, if you're the nerd and you haven't read War and Peace, then you're kind of a loser nerd, right? (laughs) (laughs) You're not a great nerd, an imposter nerd. I think that's what I struggle with, is feeling like an imposter. Well, yes, people talk about imposter syndrome, and I do think it's gendered, as you mentioned before. Like, I hate to make things so binary, but I do think women 
tend to have more insecurities about owning their smarts. It's funny, I just said I went to Bronx Science. Sometimes when I tell people that now as an adult, if they're familiar with the school, so Bronx Science is like a specialized high school in New York City. You have to take an entrance exam to get in. Sometimes I'll mention that in conversation to someone, and they'll be like, oh, you must be so smart. And instead of saying, like, thanks, I'll, like, laugh and be like, oh, well, I don't know. I mean, I guess. And, like, I feel like that's such a woman thing, like, to, to kind of deflect. And, like, yeah. so on the one hand, it's like we're not owning our smarts. And the other hand, we're worrying about, like, how much we don't know. It sort of, like, creates, like, a cast 22 for us. Like, we can't ever be totally satisfied. Totally. <laughs> and so— if we're like constantly worrying about not having read Moby Dick or War and Peace, then I also think like times have changed a lot and the canon has changed. Is there still a reason for us to feel so bad about not having read these what were called classics when we were coming up? There's so many conversations going on now about what constitutes the canon, quote unquote, and like there will always be gatekeepers, though, and there, then there'll be a new canon of new things to feel guilty about having read. <laughs> <laughs> what do we do with that? Like, it's constantly moving the goalposts. And now there's just so much. Right. It's like, how can we be expected in some ways to keep up with not just the classics, but the new books that are coming out that we want to read, the new <laughs> podcasts, the new shows, you know, the prestige TV? Like, how do you ever get on top of it? I, th- I think maybe you don't, right? Do we just embrace the fact? that we're never going to catch up to where we (laughs) want to be. I don't know. And then I also feel like aside from, you know, not having read certain books that I feel like I should have read as an English major, I feel like I have all these other gaps in my knowledge. I'm terrible at geography. Like I... (laughs) Sometimes you have those games of, like, they show you a blank map and you're, like, fill in the... Con- like, I my brain just short circuits. And, like, <laughs> that's embarrassing. Like, I should know. Do you feel like you have that, too? Like, these, these huge gaping holes in knowledge? That- Definitely. I have so much trouble remembering historical dates and events and... There are definitely holes in my knowledge, and it's embarrassing. Why are we so worried about seeming knowledgeable? Why why is this such a point of anxiety for us? Well, I don't think I'm going to figure it out today. I don't know about you, but we do have a fabulous guest whom we can ask about all this. Yes, we do. Ophira Eisenberg is a stand-up comic and host of NPR's comedy trivia show, Ask Me Another. Ophira is also a regular host and storyteller with The Moth and the author of the comedic memoir, Screw Everyone, Sleeping My Way to Monogamy. Her comedy special, Inside Joke, is available on Amazon and iTunes. And now, here's our chat with Ophira. Ophira, welcome to Anxiously. Hello. I am excited to be here, which is a strange thing to say. Welcome to Anxiously. I'm excited. (laughs) Good. (laughs) I should be like, hi. (laughs) Is this okay? Does my voice seem weird? Is it okay? Is it okay? Yes. That's what's going on in our heads. (laughs) Right. All the time. (laughs) Did I already screw up? Oh, no. They hate me. I can't see what they're feeling. Ugh. (laughs) We are such big fans of yours. There are so many reasons we think that your show, Ask Me Another, is such a huge hit. It's fun and it's hilarious and you're a fabulous host. But it also seems like maybe people are just genuinely obsessed with trivia, which explains why so many of us secretly dream of being on Jeopardy. What do you think it is about trivia? Is it just people desperately trying to seem smart? I definitely think... 
there is a huge aspect of that. You know, and trivia, if we just go back like to what trivia is, it's small, trivial, small bits of information, not wisdom. If you can't have a deep conversation with someone, but you can rattle off like, you know who won best movie? Oh my God, do you remember? Like rattle off trivia that you both have in common. That feels like connection. But it's not really. I mean, it could be. It's just like shared knowledge about something that you're passionate or nerding out on. That is something that will fill you with that feeling of like, I know that too. And here's another one that will maybe, do you know this? So it's, it is that sharing that I think feels like you're, yeah, you're sharing something that you love with someone else. And then I think there's a huge aspect of, well, you know what I know? Well, you know what I know? <laughs> <laughs> and we live in, in a world of getting so much bite-sized information. So it's like, what do you do with that? Oh, here's something. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm typically not good at trivia. It's not the way I talk to my friends or anything growing up. And I just always would be the worst at it. And then there's the added thing, which as a Canadian, you would not believe how much trivia is specific to the country that you grew up in. I have all this trivia, which then is useless right now for the predominantly American audience that we serve with the show. And I know nothing about government. I'm now learning and nothing about the history of the presidents because guess what? We weren't taught it in Canada. So I'm learning about American politics through a trivia show that I host. If that isn't <laughs> the most backwards way to find out some information. I feel like it's a very American way. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> through a game. Through a game. Exactly. Lisa and I were talking about how when we were kids, when we were growing up in the 80s and 90s, knowing things was harder. Like totally. you had to go to the library. Like I remember sitting in the dusty library stacks, you know, doing research for a school assignment or you, you know, had to actually talk to experts. And nowadays it's just, it's just a Google, Google away. Google away. Yep. I was thinking about that too, just how, um, in a weird way, it was harder and easier to plagiarize. Like, I remember as a kid having to write a book report and just finding that hard and being in the library and being like, well, this person just wrote this thing perfectly. Why <laughs> totally. would I have to do it again in different <laughs> words if I could just take this? I do remember all of that, you know, asking my mom, you know, what does this mean? And being told to look it up in the dictionary, all of that sort of stereotypical stuff. But it was real. And now, you know, I have a son and he is not living in that world. And he uses Google and Amazon as uh, verbs all the time. Amazon is a verb. Wow. Amazon it? Yeah, Amazon it. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't heard that one before, but it makes sense. I had a similar interaction with my daughter. She was reading a book and she didn't know a word and she asked me what it was. And I know she expected me to either just tell her or to let her look it up on the phone. And I was like, I went to the other room. I took out the dictionary. <laughs> I said, look it up. And she looked at me like I was from Mars. <laughs> It was amazing. I'm not sure I have a dictionary. I was just thinking that I used to have one, a huge, massive you know, like one. OED size. Yeah. But Lisa, I'm so impressed that you did that. Good <laughs> life skill teaching. Lisa, what's your brand? What's your favorite brand dictionary? What are we talking? I mean, I 
would prefer the OED, but I don't have the space. Right. <laughs> so we have a Merriam-Webster's. Okay. All right. Right. The travel. Do you have the travel size? <laughs> it's a big one. It's a legit dictionary. Hardcover? <laughs> Hardcover. All right. <laughs> That's good. What my kids are really into right now is how it has the little thumb indentations with the letters <gasps> so you can yeah. find. They love oh. that. That was such a revelation for them. That's fancy. <laughs> now I want to buy a dictionary. I'm going on Amazon. <laughs> You're going to Amazon Following it. this, I'm going on Amazon <laughs> to get my dictionary. So you have all these amazing guests like Captain Jean-Luc Picard on the show. Do you ever feel intimidated by them if you're not a trivia junkie? All the time. It's been very illuminating. So when we used to do the show live at the Bell House, we had contestants who were just super smart people who had to apply to be a contestant, much like on a Jeopardy show. And then we had a celebrity. And since we've transitioned from the work from home aspect, we don't have um, real contestants anymore. They're all actors and comedians and celebrities. The one thing that I noticed when we were live is even the person that, you know, had had been on Jeopardy. We used to get a lot of ex-Jeopardy contestants. Man, you would just see them sweat. Like, you could just see how nervous they were. So I would be nervous. And you know what? I had the answers. <laughs> Few people are not afraid of looking like a fool. I think it is actually an aspirational characteristic to not be afraid to look like a fool. You know, and then the celebrities, now that we're transitioning and dealing with more people that work in entertainment and maybe not so much trivia, people are even more scared, especially when they are high high status in the entertainment world, that they don't want to be seen as now dumb in any way. Even if we say to them, nobody's supposed to know this. Like, we'll play ridiculous games. We're like, we're going to throw out a word. And you have to tell us if it's the name of a hacker or an opera or a type of pasta, like something bizarre like that. And then they're all worked up like I should have known that. It's like, no, no, no. People don't know this. This is not like general knowledge. This is just for fun. And so over the years, my being intimidated has lowered and lowered and lowered just as you find out that everyone is so intimidated. And I do think the one person that shows up every once in a while that's like, fine, bring it on. You're like, ugh. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I noticed that you like lowered your voice when you did that. So not to make it all about gender, <laughs> but do women tend to sort of have imposter syndrome more? In my very small <laughs> non-scientific study, I sort of feel like that is the case, that men might have insecurities, but they tend to admit more freely that they don't know something or not. I don't know. Yes. Everything you're saying from my perspective is yes. And I hate to walk down the road of generalizations, but yeah, you tell a guy, hey, you look great today. And they're like, thanks. End of conversation. You go to a, a woman, you look great today. And they're like, oh, do I am? I'm tired. Oh, my, look, th this is wrong. I don't have a haircut, right? Just completely already taking themselves apart. When we were doing contestants on the show, you had to ring in. There was a whole issue with the gender imbalance of that, that perhaps the woman had the answer, but it was the action of deciding, having the confidence to make that move that sometimes was a problem. You just see it over and over. There is a guy up my block who always talks my ear off and likes to explain, you know, how life works every time I see him. And recently I was talking to him and he was telling me about how life works, mansplaining life to me. And I was thinking about all the other times in my existence, I'd been in exactly that same situation, the years, the decades 
of being in that moment <laughs> of just being held hostage by some random guy explaining to me how life works. And I did have a moment in, where I thought, has a woman ever wasted my time? Let me really think about this. I'm sure they have, but I could not think of an example. I would be interested to see the gender breakdown of Jeopardy winners, because it seems to me that men are quicker with the buzzer. So that certainty or something, there's something there. Let's just take that word quicker and like make it into the beginning of a flowchart. Having the confidence, feeling like you can speak up first, feeling that what you're saying is right, valid, your voice is important. Like it's just, it's so fraught. It really is. Okay. So here's a loaded question then. Ready. What do you think can really give a person the confidence to feel like they have mastered a certain body of work or, or have a certain amount of knowledge or learning that they can go into the world and offer up this knowledge or ring the buzzer first? Is it just having the right attitude? Is it actual scholarship? The scholarship should win. But really, there's the added part, which you said, getting the word out there. And that's all confidence, self-worth, validation, <laughs> stopping the self-doubt in your head, practicing how to believe that even if you're wrong, it doesn't matter, like, or that potentially you're right, potentially it doesn't matter. The amount of times that I've had to say to myself, you know this stuff, like just be reminded of that, which, yeah, I do think is some very deeply ingrained for me, specific to my gender growing up, how I was treated because I was like a smart kid. I'm just going to say it. I'm owning it. I was a smart kid and it was not rewarded, I would say. It wasn't even rewarded in my family. I remember specifically, now my mother, she passed away, but she is much older. She's the age of most people's grandmothers because I'm the youngest of six. And I remember her saying to me quite a lot, just act dumb. Just act dumb. You're making everything so hard on yourself and you're not getting what you want. You got to act dumb. Wow. It was her way, because she was extremely smart, it was her way of navigating through a very patriarchal and sexist world and understanding that if she led, I think, with her wit and smarts and the fact that she just knew how to do things so much better than so many people, it was too challenging for a lot of men and that, that she'd be pushed down. Yeah, I mean, I think we still see that today. Yeah. Sadly enough. We totally do. So there's a, so much work to do. I don't know how to dismantle <laughs> all of this. But I think a lot more women are really doubling down on figuring out how important their voice is and how to get it out there and exercise that. But I think culture is very slow to respond. So Lisa and I were talking before about gaps in our knowledge, like feeling like we don't know enough, you know, like we haven't read War and Peace. Story of my life. You know, and like, how do you grapple with that anxiety? I'm the worst. I'm the worst. Even from pop culture point of view, like they, I just missed things. And also, you know, again, like just the the difference in growing up, people talk about MTV and, and we didn't get MTV in Canada for a long time, but it was before everything was digital. So I have like gaps in my pop culture knowledge. I have gaps in my history. I have those same major literature gaps where I'm like, I didn't read these classics. It didn't come to me in my education and I didn't pursue them on my own. So here we are with that. And what do you do? Well... <laughs> 
you feel bad. <laughs> you realize few people don't have gaps. Everyone should have gaps, frankly. It'd be weird not to have gaps. <laughs> what do I do? I, I guess I, I gloriously fail. I just gloriously fail. You just go, yeah, you're right. I, I haven't read War and Peace. Will I carve out the time in my life to read it? I bet it's not going to happen this next year. <laughs> so, you know, why don't you tell me, person who has read it, why I should read it? I like that. But it's hard. As someone who I do stand-up and works in comedy, a long time ago when I was writing, I was writing my first book and I was very fearful that I wasn't a good enough writer. Uh. Yes. <laughs> and I went to someone I respect, a uh, older guy who is a accomplished writer. And I said, I just fear that I'm not a very good writer. And he said, uh, as long as you're funny, that will compensate for any... He didn't say I'm a good writer, by the way. He said, as long as you're funny, that will, that will mean so much in the writing. And you'll you will get away with not having to find the, the best vocabulary and whatever. I still aspired to try to, you know, make my writing as best as possible. But I understood there are some ways that the full package can have a little bit. It's going to have a little bit of each. You know, it's like an entree. The spices. You got to add some spices here because maybe the chicken's a little overdone. So just add some more spices. <laughs> Lisa and I are both writers and we work with writers. I think all writers feel that way like they should right yeah to me that that is odd to me when a writer is like I'm the best like <laughs> the writers are racked with insecurity to me that's part of the process well let me ask you this do you feel like every good writer should hate writing like hate the process of writing it's an interesting question because it, it, it's painful because of that fear that you're doing it wrong somehow and I don't know if that's a should, but I think it's very common. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's an often. It's not a should. It's a often. <laughs> exactly. It's an is. <laughs> totally. What makes you anxious? Are there things that make you anxious? I can't really think of something right now that doesn't make me anxious. So do we want to um, <laughs> reach a category? I mean, I... I don't even bother with those categories anymore of like, I'm an introvert, extrovert, narcissist, blah, blah, blah. Like, you know, all those articles where they're like, are you an introvert? But really, you need time alone? But really, you stare at yourself in the mirror sometimes? <laughs> it's garbage. So I hate all those categories. But, you know, as someone who is very social and loves social interactions, I'm anxious when I'm out with even a best friend. I'm anxious when I'm meeting new people because I want people to like me. I love actually putting on a mask, not only for the protection, but it, it stops the insane facial need to smile at every stranger, <laughs> pet, anything walking down the street to basically apologize for my existence. <laughs> That's very Canadian, I, I suspect. <laughs> But I feel anxious when I'm walking down the street and I can't smile. Like, I make eye contact and I can't smile because then I think, will the other person think I'm grimacing at them? Right, or uh, right. Yeah. I know. I know. To go back to the gender thing, I do think when you see a man walk down the street and he's uh, grimacing or frowning, you could be like distinguished, thinking, austere, professional, all these things. And then if you see a woman frowning, you think upset, frustrated, disgusted, unattractive, right? Yeah. So, and I know the, the smile more thing, you know, we've talked about a lot in this culture over the last few years, but I do find that that's a huge thing. I, I smile too much. I don't think that's a thing. <laughs> I think it's a thing. To smile too much? I, I think we should embrace our, our smiles. Yeah, I guess we have to think of where it's coming from. See, even I'm anxious about smiling. I love it. I love it. <laughs> we'll have to make that an episode. 
I'm anxious about smiling. I was joking that I want to do a podcast called Do You Hate Me? Because (laughs) I also, every interaction I have, I then like disassemble in my mind throughout the day and before I go to bed and sometimes when I can't sleep and I go through like any thread where I potentially felt something uneasy and wondered if that was the moment that that person decided I was terrible, not worthy of friendship, not good at my job, not, uh, you know, a thousand things. Yeah. You know, just baseline level anxiety. I couldn't agree more. <laughs> Lisa and I are nodding like so strongly. Yes, we get it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I feel better knowing that we are not alone. <laughs> and every single, I mean, ask me another, I love doing it as the host. You know what it feels like to be the host. So that you're technically in control. You're the face and the voice. And yet still I feel, yeah, I'll just be like, oh, God, I hope this person isn't just looking at the clock the whole time and yeah always wanting to uh take care and make sure and is it okay there are the rare moments where uh i used to do this before i would go out on stage i would just go through i would be too anxious to go out on stage or i'd feel anxiety about going on stage and you know there is amazing thing about going on stage in real life where sooner or later you just have to do it I mean, I guess you could run away. (laughs) But I would go through this whole thing about like, I think the people that love me will still love me after this. I think the people in the crowd don't do stand up. So this should be impressive just on the mere fact that it's happening. Also, what are those people doing? Just sitting there? Like, you know, screw them. They're just sitting there. They should be happy with whatever I give them. And you know what? What I do is what I do. And that is valid. Like, <laughs> just go through this whole thing. And then, hey, everybody! You know, just this whole thing to just get out there and, you know, do 10 minutes on a show with a bunch of drunk people in the audience. <laughs> but that's great. You're You're able to coach yourself through it. Bravo. Yeah, I have to remember to do it. Sometimes I forget because it's so much easier just to uh, not do it, honestly. But I feel like, yeah, those are good lessons to take away. <laughs> like You gotta like wind yourself up. You know, it's like a, a little uh, lever on my side. All right, wind <laughs> her up. Get it going. <laughs> <laughs> and like you said before, it's okay to fail. Was it fail gloriously? Is fail gloriously. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I love and, that. And that is based on uh, two women we had on the show Alyssa Lampiris and her pal Mae Wilkinson, two comedians, they're hilarious. And they, you know, it was such a great thing. Two women who came on the show, we gave them some movie trivia and some song trivia. They didn't know the answers. And they, instead of feeling bad about it, they actually were just so funny about how they didn't know it and what they did know and making jokes that I was like, that's how you do it. You actually made this such better content by failing gloriously. They were the good example of two people, two women who stepped aside from their gaps in knowledge. Just went, it's fine, because here's what I'm going to give you. Something better. (laughs) I feel like that's a perfect note to end on. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me, Lisa. Thanks, Amy. She was so terrific. Oh my gosh, she was hilarious. I love what she had to say about women and trivia, knowledge. And And failing gloriously. Failing gloriously. I love that. I feel like that is such a good 
antidote for anxiety because I think that's the crux of it. I think our fear of not seeming like we know enough is about fear of failure ultimately and realizing that it's okay to fail. Like it's okay. Like you and I were both such we were saying before we were straight A students, like maybe we get an F sometimes and that's and that's okay. <laughs> yeah, we just have to own it. Yes. Exactly. Talk ourselves into owning it. <laughs> right. What is the Socrates quote? Like, all I know is that I don't know anything. Or So it's accepting that you don't have to know everything. And that's just, you know, being being a person in the world. I think I'll go meditate on that for a little bit. <laughs> and speaking of meditating, Amy, what are you doing this week to feel more relaxed? Well, um, not meditating, but <laughs> I started a new habit, I'd say, in the last year. So pre-pandemic, pre lockdown, I bought coffee outside every single day. You know, I'd go to Starbucks or a cafe on the way to work. It was just part of my ritual in the morning, very expensive ritual. <laughs> I never, ever made my own coffee. But then being home all the time, I started to do that. And I love it. And I find it really relaxing and meditative. Like, I'm still a newbie. Like, I have a French press, very, very basic. But I find something so soothing about the act of making the coffee in the morning, the wonderful smell, and then sitting down with my cup and, you know, drinking and sipping it and savoring it. And that's just been just a really nice little new ritual. How about you? That's so funny because I also have been getting into coffee more and more this past week or so. We just got a new espresso machine and I am obsessed with it. I love it. I love taking care of it. I check the water. I empty out the old like espresso grounds. There's just something about grooming it that makes me feel good. And then <laughs> I also really enjoy the coffee, which is funny because I'm actually not a coffee snob at all. And I prefer bad coffee from the diner, but <laughs> I've really been enjoying the espresso in the mornings. That's fancy. That's like next level, like espresso machine. I do not have that yet. So you will have to guide me through that world. Do you grind your own beans? So the machine is automated and it grinds the beans. What are your favorite beans? It's an Italian bean that we get up in Arthur Avenue in the Bronx. Nice. Which is the sort of little Italy neighborhood up there. Yes, I love Arthur Avenue. I've been using Fairway coffee, which I love. Well, are you going to go back to War and Peace? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I am. I try to read a few pages each week. Do you feel a little bit less anxious now about your progress on it? I'm going to own my slow pokiness. And yes, I'm going to say I feel less anxious about it. How about you? How are you doing? I look at Moby Dick on my shelf and I feel this like <laughs> weight of guilt about it, but I am going to choose to ignore that and reach for my Dan Brown thriller or something and, and feel okay about that. Nothing wrong with a little genre fiction, I say. Nothing at all. Well, thank you as always for getting it. I know you get it too. And we hope all of you listening get it as well. Thanks so much for joining us. See you next time. Anxiously is brought to you by Tablet Studios. Our producers are Josh Cross, Sara Fredman Ader, and Robert Scaramuccia. Our music is by the best band in the world, Low Cut Connie. Please rate and review us on iTunes so more people can find us. It really helps. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at anxiouslypod. 
And if you have feedback or questions about the show, email us at anxiously at tabletmag.com. For more information about the show, head to tabletmag.com slash anxiously and check out all of Tablet's podcasts at tabletmag.com slash podcasts. See you later.